Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. How are you doing today, sir? Not too shabby. Nice, nice. Yeah, because shabby is kind of the way I roll. So if you're not too shabby, you're killing it. Good job. Anything exciting going on? I'm going to go meet Ron Moorhead in a couple of days to interview him for the doc. So that'll oh, be Oh, I heard fun. he's in town. Yeah, I heard he might be up on the mountain or something this week at some point. Yeah. He flies into Portland tomorrow, and then he's going to go see his daughters. He's going to be up in uh, Vancouver, Washington, and then Cottage Grove. So we're going to catch him down in Cottage Grove. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, send him my love when you see him. I will, for sure. I had a little bit of a, an excursion this past week. I drove 1,500 miles this past week. That's a long ways, man. Oh, Idaho. Uh, no, no. That's this coming week. I'm going to I'm leave for Idaho on Thursday, um, which is going to be another adventure, of course. This past week, I, I have a very sick friend um, in the Bay Area. So I had to drive down to the Bay Area and visit my friend in ICU. And then uh, I figured, well, I drove all this way and I got to go north somehow. Why don't I go up the 101? I made use of my time. Um, first thing I did is I dropped by Ukiah, California, which is the county seat for Mendocino County. And I've started doing a little bit of research trying to find the address of the house that that muddy handprint was left upon in 1962, which is the first known Sasquatch handprint evidence that was recorded. Um, so I dug into the records and did a little bit of uh, digging and that spent about two and a half hours. Didn't come up with anything, but I have a few other leads I'm going to try to track down. So I haven't given up that search yet. You know what? I knew, I used to know where the house was basically. How did you find out? Uh, this was like in the mid late nineties. I was logging down there, down in Comchi for a couple seasons. Yeah. And, uh, anyways, we were going up and down. I'd, you know, going into town and we'd go hit up the brewery and the bar once in a while, whatever, in town. and In Fort Bragg. Yeah, yeah. And I'd always ask people, and the town of Mendocino, and I'd, and I'd always uh, ask people, uh, you got any Bigfoot stories, any Bigfoot sightings? And then I remember a couple people knew about the handprint house. And they said, yeah, that's where uh, the house is. And I, I remember something about it being like two miles out of side of town up by the pygmy forest or something like that. I, I never went and saw the house. I just remember like I knew where it was. Like when I drove down the road, I knew like there was somewhere down like that area. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The, the, the newspaper reports at the time have it on the Willits road, the Willits uh, Fort Bragg road. Yeah. Yeah. Highway 20, right? I mean, uh, yeah, it's a 20. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but where is kind of up for grabs at this point? I thought it was on the South side. Like, if you looked on the map, it was like just on the side of like between there and the Pygmy Forest kind of. I think for some reason, like the Pygmy Forest keeps coming into my brain as a reference point off the 20. 
Well, I know we're going to find it. It's just a matter of time because I've, I've roped in Mark Marcel to help at this point. So he and I are kind of working on this. And, um, you know, it's when Mark's in, involved in this sort of thing, you just kind of stand back and watch the fireworks. So um, I'm kind of working on that. So um, and I've got another lead on maybe a Hatfield house because um, uh, Bud Jenkins, um, Clarence Bud Jenkins is his name, and his wife Agnes. They were the people who lived there. But um, I think it was Agnes's brother, um, who was a Hatfield, Bob Hatfield. He would come and stay with them. He was a long-distance trucker. But when he was in town, he would stay with them. And uh, he was there that night, and he's the guy that actually touched the Sasquatch. He bumped into it, um, knocked him down on the ground, and he crawled back in the house with the thing behind him. Um, I, I found an address with him uh, right off of Highway 20 on, on Summers Lane, I think is what it was. But anyway, yeah, so I dug around there for a while. Um, but we'll get to the bottom of that. When we do, I will certainly tell people about it. You look at the real estate records, like the tax records? Deeds. I was looking at deeds, whatever they filed, and trying to get legal descriptions. Because they you know, they don't even put the, the address on a legal description. They say, you know, from this place, over 200 yards to the west of this spot, and like a very long. But I figured, you know, we got Mark Marcel in my back pocket. So like, why don't we just tap into that wealth of knowledge? I got, I got a call. I got a call from him about eleven thirty or twelve thirty at night last night. I know because uh, Eli called. Uh, Eli from Small Town Monsters. He was in the shop today. I did an interview with him, or he did an interview with me, or somebody interviewed somebody. Um, yeah, he hung out today, and he said that uh, Mark's phone doesn't work because it's Mark, you know. And then, um, and he goes, "Well, we'll just call him from your phone, Eli." And um, <laughs> and then, then the- that's how you get no response. That's how you get no answers. Is it exactly? Yeah, an unknown number <laughs> at twelve thirty at night. Yeah. I mean, I know it's Bobo, but come on, no one's going to pick up for that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Mark's going to be spending the night at, on Wednesday at my house. Uh, so uh, we're going to have dinner, do a little barbecuing or something, and got to leave for, for Pocatello, that Pocatello job the next day. So, um, But the 12-hour drive with Mark Marcel, it's going to be awesome. I, Thelma and Louise isn't going to have anything on us. <laughs> it's gonna be pretty awesome but well anyway after i went to the registrar office in the mendocino county in ukiah um i went across the street to the sheriff's office and uh um i asked them for their police files about the case and unfortunately they have none they their files do not go back that far and the woman i spoke to uh, at the at the window at the plexiglass bulletproof window said uh that she has no idea where any of those things might have been moved or if they were destroyed or anything like that um, and apparently I've heard from other sources that it's very rare for sheriffs to keep paper records that long, which is a huge, huge shame because the cops took pictures of the footprints in the ground. They took pictures of the handprint on the wall. They took the tracing of the handprint. They even took a cast. And I, and I believe the cast exists because coincidentally, there was a gentleman in the museum here about a month ago. He told me he was from Fort Bragg and he was a Bigfooter down there. He does a little Bigfoot. And I don't think anybody does a whole ton of Bigfooting down there, but uh, he definitely is one of the guys down there doing anything. He told me about a couple spots that he had heard of. And he said that when he was a little boy, I think it was in the 1960s, maybe early 70s, but I think it was late 60s, um, he saw the cast. So it exists or it existed. Um, and how cool would that be? Uh, to be to find, you know, to footprint cast from the 1962 handprint event. But anyway, cops didn't know what I did have anything for me. And then from there, I drove north. I uh, stopped by Willow Creek, gave Stephen Stroyford a call. Um, and he's funny. I mean, he's what, what a guy. He's a weird guy. I love the guy. Um, and then he would say the same about me too. So it's not an insult. But um, I called him like at eight o'clock at night, and I woke him up. And he goes, "Oh, hey, Cliff. Yeah, I'm, I'm gone fully nocturnal now." 
It's like, oh, <laughs> all right. So I hung out with him for a few hours. Um, he's closing the bookshop down. I don't know what he's going to do next, but I, I bought some of his used books to put in the museum here. And then I went to Bluff Creek for the next two nights. Um, went to the film site, uh, kind of poked around there, made some content for uh, for our, our, our members here at the museum. Um, stayed at Laos Camp, had it all to myself, which is rad. It was, it was just good to be back, you know, Bobs? Like, I know you go there, you live out there, so it's a lot easier for you to go to. But I, I don't go that much. I haven't been since the 50th anniversary thing. You know, it's been it's been five what five years now almost since I've been there. Um, but you know, going there it's kind of like visiting an old friend. I really felt that way. Like I had Laos Camp all to myself, camping alone at Bluff Creek again. Like it was just like I was visiting a, an old friend I hadn't seen for years. Oh, you were solo? Uh-huh. Yeah, dang. Why? I just wish I could have made it. But you know, speaking of speaking of old nocturnal friends, I went to go see Wally when I was down visiting my parents down south. Really, Wally? How's he doing, man? I haven't talked to him forever. Um, he's doing all right. I mean, he's he can't walk too good now. He's got a wheelchair if he has to go very far. But his mind's still his mind's sharp. Yeah. For those who don't know, Wally was the funder of the BFRO and some other projects. He funded the Olympic project. He purchased the property where the if you see the small town monsters things and to the, you know, the, the litter project, the nest sites and all that. And then he also uh, funded Melba Ketchum's DNA study. And I actually, uh, he didn't know anything about Haskell Hart, our guest on the show, Dr. Haskell Hart that wrote the book about the DNA project, the failed project. And he was, he was really, I, so I showed him that and then we ordered it. So he's going to be reading that this week. He's like, yeah, I should have at least got a free book out of the deal. I spent $700,000 for nothing. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. So when he's done with the book, I told him I'd give him uh, Haskell's phone number to call him up and talk to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, um, uh, well, that's good. I'm glad he's still interested in all that. I, sent, I try to send him an email every once in a while, but you know, he's gotten back to me once in the last couple of years, and um, I just, I, you know, I, I guess the emails I send don't really warrant a reply either. He can't type anymore. Oh, really? Really? So, so does he still keep the same hours in? He's nocturnal, as you said. Well, he set his alarm for 10 p.m. to meet me at 10.30 uh, p.m. <laughs> what time does he go to bed? Maybe I can catch him in the morning. Anytime between 5 and 8, but he said more and more he's been getting up at like one or 12 or 1 in the morning and going to bed like at 8 or 9. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love Wally. It's been years since I've had a chance to hang out with him. What a neat guy. Well, fantastic. Well, good. But well, it's good to catch up with you, Bobs. I haven't talked to you for a while. I mean, I talked to you when I was on the road, see if you wanted to come out to bluff with me. But um, other than that, I've, it seems like it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a podcast. And I'm sure all of our listeners feel the same. No, wait. No, they get it every week. They get to talk to us every week. Never mind. Right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, speaking of not knowing what we're talking about, today is a Q&A uh, program. Um, so we're going to be answering questions from our listeners and all that sort of stuff. And then, um, of course, we'll stay on afterwards and do a little membership section thing where we do uh, special quirkier questions for our members in our member area That because, you know, we have that Patreon account now that's rolling. Um, our, our, we have members of the, the podcast that help us out a little bit and they get extra content every single week. Maybe you, the listener, would like to be one of those folks. Um, so go to BigFootAndBeyondPodcast.com and follow the links to our membership site um, and get the extra content of Beyond Bigfoot and Beyond. So let's go ahead and start with a voicemail, because as our listeners know, and our new lis listeners will soon learn, you can actually call us and leave a voicemail question for us, or a comment, or whatever you want, or just uh, ad adulations. Uh, you can tell me how nice my hair looks, 
You can compliment Bobo on his deep, sexy voice. You can do anything you'd like. Leave us a voicemail if you'd like. That's BigfootAndBeyondPodcast.com and follow the links for that. But let's go ahead and start with a, a question from a listener. And uh, here we go. Hey, this is Catherine from Texas. I know y'all hate this question, and I'm sorry if it's already been addressed, but is finding Bigfoot ever going to come back? Question mark. I'm sorry. I'm so used to texting. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I want to know. Y'all got my interest in Bigfoot. Y'all the ones that started it, and we're moving to Arkansas in the Ozarks, and I'm going to go look myself. Thank you. No, we never get asked that question. I, yeah, no, never, <laughs> never at all. Actually, that question, I was asked that question today in the museum because that's where I do my podcast from. And that question is also submitted by Jose Ruiz, uh, Sharon Deck, Joanne Fleury, Kimmy Jones, Martha Pedretsky, Donna Spencer, Carol Lorenz, Keegan Reynolds, Sergio Castaneda, and Ronald Mayer, and probably more people. That's just, just from, from this last session. All of those people ask that same question. So here's the answer. No. Next question. No, actually, no, no, there is no plans to do any more Finding Bigfoot. We were asked back for that two-hour special, of course, in 2020, but none of us knew that was coming. It just was an opportunity that was presented to us, and we thought it would be fun, and lo and behold, it was fun. Hopefully, it was fun for you guys to watch as well. But at this moment, there is no plan to bring back any uh, Finding Bigfoot episodes, any make any new ones or anything like that. So, um, of course, you never know what's going to happen. But right now, we know nothing. And we would tell you. I can't keep a secret. No, you really can't. Bobo, he would tell everybody about it. Like NDAs, nah, they don't mean much to Bobs. (laughs) On a bad day, you can't even spell it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next question then. Hey, Cliff and Bobo, I'm a big fan of the podcast. And I listen to every new episode that you guys make every week. But I was just curious, Cliff... You think that the London tracks were fake, and I'm sure you're probably tired of getting questions about the London tracks, but how do you think that they faked the stride? Because the footprints were so far apart, and there was so many of them. So how do you think they managed to do that for that long? But anyway, I love the podcast, and uh, thanks for taking my question. I'll take the first part. That guy was an athlete because... He did a pirouette, like 360, on those fake feet. I mean, that guy, whoever did it was a total athlete. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, um, somebody very athletic, probably a young person, um, because young people tend to have the energy for that sort of nonsense. Um, yeah, the London tracks, as far as I'm concerned, are fake. I know there's a number of researchers who still don't think that's true. Um, and there's other rumors swirling around about different sizes of tracks and stuff. And that's none of which I observed at the site. None of which I observed. There's rumors of a 14 and a 17 inch print. Uh, the ones I saw, uh, the, the longer prints were due to sliding, uh, essentially they were the, the 14 and a half inch, 14, whatever they were, um, stompers that slid and made longer impressions. Because if you've ever seen me live, um, do a, do any speaking or something like that, you've certainly heard me say the footprint is not the shape of the foot. It is the shape of the damage done to the ground by the foot as the thing walks by. I have footprint casts from real Sasquatches um, that are over 18 inches long. But yet we also have footprint casts from that same Sasquatch that are 14 14 inches long. So um, lengths can be uh, distorted by sliding and slipping and all that sort of stuff. So um, as as far as I could tell, and I spent two or three days down at the site – I photographed every single print from numerous angles. 
I cast 72 on my first trip out there. Um, I've tracked it forward and back. Um, to my knowledge, um, there were one print, one size print represented. There was not two. Um, that was even recently published in Dan Perez's newsletter that there are two sizes. And as far as I'm concerned, that's incorrect. Um, there were there was one size. Also published and rumored at that time um, that the prince came down out off the mountain across the road and went and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Um, okay, that's a rumor because, again, I never saw that. I never found anything like that. And, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch. I'm far from perfect. Um, but I never saw anything like that. But, I, okay, the I was there. Um, I can think of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, no less than six or seven other good, solid researchers were there. And nobody, not one person took a photograph of these footprints coming off the road or down the, down the slope to the road. Not one person. I don't believe that. I believe I believe that the people who were there were good enough researchers that at least one of them would have taken pictures of what what they saw if it was there. But yet that does not exist to my knowledge. Maybe I'm wrong, but that does not exist to my knowledge. So the the footprints began at at, at the roadside. Okay, and that didn't bother me at the time because again they fooled me for a while. I mean, I'm not I'm not above admitting that I was wrong. I was wrong. It's totally cool with me. Um, I guess I'm one of those rare bigfooters that's okay with being wrong. It started pretty much at the road, went down, and then they did a big sort of semicircle thing, and then came back to almost the same spot that they started from, essentially. And how did they do such a long stride? How how could that be possible? Well, they the dude ran or the girl ran. Whoever it was ran. That's how they did it. And when a human runs, this is something I learned from that by investigating this and doing my own experiments, I might add. Um, when a human runs, that also um, narrows the straddle of their trackway. That narrows the straddle. That means it puts uh, the, the, by running, it makes the footprints be more tightrope walked basically more in a straight line. That's what's called straddle, the left and right positioning of the foot along a center line. That's straddle. And when you run, you, you they become more center line. And that's because the center of gravity has to come to the middle and you can't be wobbling back and forth as you run. That's not good design. And uh, it turns out that evolution makes pretty good designs. Um, and so that's why that happens. That's also why Sasquatches walk in, the, in a more or less tightrope manner. Although I will say here, and I'm sure this will be controversial to somebody because I always piss somebody off, that um, it is not totally tightrope. That whole tightrope walking thing is way overblown by the Bigfoot community, way overblown. Um, there is always some straddle in, in a Sasquatch trackway. Um, they're not perfectly in front of one another, essentially. So I'm sure I made a couple people mad right there. Sorry, deal with it. But anyway, so when a person runs, whether wearing fake stompers or not, the, obviously the step length from left to right or right to left will be lengthened. And also the straddle will be decreased. And that's what we saw there. That's what we saw. That's why the stride length or the step length, depending on what you're measuring, was at, at that distance and all that sort of stuff. And I am completely confident that those were fake because of the telltale markers left by fake stompers. Um, there was differentiation in toe depth. And I, I think I misstated that in the paper I wrote that I published on that. I, I think I, I was not splay. I, I misinterpreted that as splay. And I later learned that by doing experiments with fake stompers. 
Um, there was differentiation in toe depth, but that's a different thing. And you can actually recreate that with fake stompers. Um, but what bothered me about the London tracks is that there was no horizontal toe splay. Um, not one. And at a 72 tracks that I personally cast, there should be some, there should be to, some toe splay. Um, there is also a distinct lack of mid tarsal pressure ridges or anything like that. Um, but, and the ridges that were there were mostly right behind the toes, which is where it would be left if you had a fake stomper, because as you uh, push off, humans push off at the heads of the metatarsals and the toes. Um, and to rep and when you're wearing stompers, I found out later by doing experiments, um, that, that basically curls the front part of the stomper down sharply into the substrate and raises a mound of dirt a few inches back. And that's exactly what I found. Um, that's what I saw in the London tracks. That's what I found in my experiments. That's what I saw in the LB tracks. That's what I've seen in other fake stompers uh, tracks, trackways over the years. Um, that is, and So that's a done deal as far as I'm concerned. Um, my experimentation, I, sure, I would like the London tracks to be real, but my experimentation shows me that they're not. That's the deal in the London tracks. Yeah, yeah, they fooled me too. I remember when you when you called me and told me about it. I was going to jam up there, but it was going to. It rained like right after that. You guys poured, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like we were we were rushing to get all the stuff poured to collect as much data as possible because we knew the rain was coming. Yeah, I wasn't going to get there before the rain. I was so chapped ass, and then I saw the prints. I was like, "Whoa, look at that!" You guys think you know who did it, right? No, I don't know who did it. I don't know who did it. I mean, this was such an important piece of my education as far as footprint casts go. I would just, at this point, I would just love to learn more about the hoaxing of these tracks. So anybody listening out there in the Cottage Grove area, Cottage Grove, Oregon is where all this stuff happened, Cottage Grove, Cottage Grove Reservoir. If you know the hoaxer, or maybe you are the hoaxer, you know, no hard feelings, man. No hard feelings. I, I don't carry my ego that strongly, you know. Um, no big deal. I would love to get, to get to get those stompers, maybe for the museum or something like that. I think they'd be a fantastic centerpiece. We do have um, we do have a, 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 hex, a hoaxing se- section in our museum here. So if you know the hoaxer or you are the hoaxer, reach out to me at the North American Bigfoot Center, uh, 503-912-3054. Um, no hard feelings. I'm not going to be pissed and angry and all that sort of stuff. We'll give a free Bigfoot and Beyond t-shirt. Uh, yeah, we will give you a free Bigfoot and Beyond t-shirt um, for, for helping me out. Or an NABC shirt, which, or maybe one of each, whatever you'd like. Um, give me a call. Give, me, give us an email, North American Bigfoot Center at gmail.com, and let me know. Um, and, uh, I, I, maybe I won't tell anybody who you are, you know, or anything like that. Um, I'll just keep it in my records, but I would love to learn just a little bit more about this case. So there you go. Give at least one of the stoppers over. At least one. I'd love to have both because I'd like to do more experiments. I had to return the stoppers that I borrowed. I had to return those. And, uh, um, so I, I haven't been able to, uh, do any more experiments since then. So. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. Okay, so that was, uh, that was hopefully that answered your question there. Um, and on to the next question. Here we go. 
Hey there, this is Yvette from Cibolo, Texas. I'm just outside San Antonio. First, I want to thank both of you for a wonderful podcast that I just love that's both educating and entertaining, and you actually have me looking forward to Mondays. And I also want to thank Bobo for doing this awesome, spectacular, amazing, just indescribable cameo video for my nephew's birthday. He loved it. But here's my question. Let's say someone from Hollywood were to come to you and say, we're going to make a movie about finding Bigfoot. Who would you cast? What actors, living or dead, would you cast to play each of you? Now, I'm going to pause and then give you my answers. So I would cast Philip Seymour Hoffman as Matt Moneymaker. I would cast Sandra Bullock as Renee. I would cast Brent Spiner, Data from Star Trek The Next Generation to play Cliff. And then to play Bobo and capture all that is Bobo, kind of need a hybrid of actors with a Magnamera Tom Selleck for someone that is tall and handsome. But for the personality, I'd cast Sean Penn doing his Jeff Spicoli. All right. Thank you guys for everything. You have a great day. (laughs) I love her. Oh, she's pretty great. Well, who would be, I know a couple answers. I, I think the um, obvious. I think the obvious answer who would play Matt Moneymaker is Chris Farley. Yeah, although he's dead, he might be hard to get at this point. She um, said, "Living or dead." Living or dead. Oh, good, good. Well, Chris Farley for that. Uh, for, for Renee, Bobes, what do you think for Renee? That's a hard one. Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow, perhaps Sigourney Weaver. Oh yeah, Sigourney Weaver. That's it. You nailed it. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a good call. That's a good call. Um, oh, I know. Well, for you, Bobes, it has to be that guy from Thirty Rock. What's his name? Brian Posehn or whatever. No, no, no. He 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 uh, interviewed us at a at a panel at the Cryptid. Uh, at oh, a, Judah Friedlander. Yeah, Judah Friedlander for you. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good call. And she said Cat yeah. Picard for you. No, she said somebody from Star Trek: The Next Generation. But I don't. Who who was that? It was Brent Spiner who played Data in Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so Data, Data, uh, Brent Spiner. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Sure. I'm okay with that. Well, oh, that was man. a beautiful laugh, Bob. I don't think I've heard you laugh like that for quite a while. <laughs> that was hilarious. That wasn't a, like a, 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 a gut source chuckle like you usually do. That was a gleeful titter, if I do say that <laughs> <to> myself. <laughs> that was great all the way around. I was kind of thinking like, who would I? I mean, I was thinking about that before. I was like, "Who would I get?" And who? She nailed it, though. Tom Selleck. You're not hairy enough for Tom Selleck. True, but then you mix in the Spicoli. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that would be true. I guess that would be true. He was still a teenager, so not a lot of hair. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I, who I think I would I would go for for me is a young Richard Dreyfus. Oh, that is perfect. Yeah, I kind of mean like I, I have the Jaws look, you know. I'm, I know I'm gray and stuff, but um, when he w- when he was in Jaws, he did look a lot like me. Yeah, I've heard someone say that before. Yeah, and you know what's funny about that is um, uh, my wife Melissa. Um, she when she was younger, she had a crush on um, Richard Dreyfuss from um, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Cause your chick's weird. Well, well, you know she, she's a weird lady, man. But uh, how's that for a, um, a little foreshadowing? Because Richard Dreyfuss is a music teacher. It kind of it kind of is up my alley in a way. Like it was foreshadowing. The universe was foreshadowing her future. Or she was just settling for the next best thing. Yeah, you know, I'm perfectly happy that she settled on me. <laughs> perfectly happy. I couldn't be happier 
to uh, be settled upon. So whatever that's worth. All right. Well, should we go to the next question? And by the way, that was a fun question. Thank you so much, by the way. Hello, Cliff and Bobo. My name is Jim. I'm currently living in Germany. I was just wondering, I'm hearing lots of reports over here of Bigfoot in Sweden. Do you have any experience or have you heard of any other reports from Sweden and possibly other parts of Western Europe? Because there's also some small reports of them in Germany. Um, Interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. Well, we had little Daddy Rothheim here. He saw one in Germany. He saw like a definite relic hominid, not a Sasquatch. It was more proto-early human type thing. But I've got three that I know for sure from Sweden. Um, two were from uh, same encounter, different guys on a navy naval ship, a smaller naval ship that was in, in near the shore in the bottom, about two-thirds of the way down into the country along the shoreline. Then the other ones were uh, in the interior up north central part of the country and then finland gets a lot with those laplanders the reindeer herders those guys get a lot of a lot of action they they pick off their reindeer uh, but what about you cliff you get more from sweden no i haven't heard anything really from sweden i have some uh, maybe one or two things from norway um i got one from 2021 um about some blown out footprints in norway um and then i got this other weird picture um uh, from, um, from Hungary of all places, um, a very scary, peculiar picture. Uh, it's, it's of a gray sort of, um, hominoid sort of thing jumping over the side of a road, like a barrier on the side of the road. But it, it almost looks like somebody, um, in like a gray jumpsuit, like one of those skin type sort of, you know, like the athletic biking sort of jumpsuit things, but covered from head to toe. Um, very weird picture. So I don't know what to think about that. But those are the only two I have out of that area of Europe outside of our uh, interview um, with Big Daddy um, about his uh, report in uh, Germany. I've got a couple things in Scotland and the UK, but I, I don't know about those so much. Um, maybe they're real, maybe they're not. Uh, I had Adam Davies actually go look into one of the Scotland ones when I was when he was still living over there. Of course, he's in the US now. But um, yeah, that's really all I have for that general area. No, I take that back. I take that back. Thinking about it, I think I have a report from either – I think I have a report from Poland and the Czech Republic as well. I'd have to dig through my emails for those, though. Yeah, I've uh, got a couple. Yeah, I got definitely got a couple from Poland on military bases, if I remember right, in those particular areas. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's something going on over there. So I think they were there, but I mean, maybe they still are. I don't really know. But this guy says that he's hearing a lot of reports out of Sweden. Send them our way. I want to hear about these. Yeah, send them to Bigfoot Beyond Podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear more stuff about this. Dude, I spent so much time looking up uh, reports over there trying to find – I looked up uh, like trying to find troll experts, like troll groups on Facebook and uh, chat rooms and looked all over. I couldn't really find anyone that really was like a you know, squatcher, you know, someone that was looking for a, what, we were, what we were looking for. Yeah, and I do think a lot of those troll myths over there in uh, the Scandinavian countries have a, a Sasquatch root. Um, they call it like stolo. They're, I think that's one of the words they use over there for troll. A lot of stolo, S T O L L O. And there's geographic or ge- uh, geologically things like big rocks named after the stolo and all that sort of stuff. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the root of all those troll myths um, is a Sasquatch or some other unknown hominoid. Yeah, someone, someone might know about this. I remember reading and 
and I thought I heard maybe heard an interview with the guy, but the pilot that was shot down during the Balkans, um, you know, the whole Serbian conflict, he, uh, one of our guys got shot down behind enemy lines and it took him two weeks to get out of there. And I remember saying he saw like a five foot tall, hairy, naked caveman just, you know, just as it was getting light one morning when he was sneaking, trying to get back to the Western lines. And he, you know, he said that he saw it. And it was, you no, know, it wasn't a guy in a suit. It wasn't just a regular hairy person, like naked hairy. It was like, like a caveman. But I can't find that report. Hmm. Yeah, if you can find it, that'd be interesting to hear too. I think the European thing is kind of untapped. I mean, there's probably some European investigators over there looking into it, but word doesn't leak out to over here. That's for sure. Yeah, so the, the podcast with Little Daddy Roth, when he saw that one in Germany, he was with Robert Williams, the artist, the other crazy artist guy, was episode 63. So go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it, if you're one of the newer listeners. Okay, so on with the next question. Hey guys, Grace from Santa Cruz, California again. I am curious on your thoughts of this hum that the earth and the atmosphere just seem to be putting out. Have you heard of this? I know for me, I heard the hum myself and I just thought it was just me. (laughs) Um, I kept hearing it. You could hear it for like up to a day at a time. Sometimes it was just for like five, 10 minutes, whatever. It wasn't very long. Um, And you could just hear this like consistent, low-grade hum. It was quiet, but you could hear it. And then now I'm hearing all these other people talk about these hums and that they can almost be melodic where they have like a beat to them almost where it's a hum, stop, hum, stop kind of thing like that. They're way far away from any power lines. They're miles and miles away from anybody on some of these occasions. Um, Anyway, so I'm just curious, what are your thoughts about this and have you even heard of it? Yeah, I've heard about it. I think I've heard it, but I'm not sure if I heard it or not. If it's if it's the Earth making it or something mechanical, like just traveling through the ground. And and when I hear it, when I've heard it at home, I live you know only a mile from the mills, so that's what it could have been for sure. I don't think I've ever heard of such a thing. You haven't? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I don't know. And I, I did a quick I did a quick search here, and it says the hum. And there's all sorts of things about the hum. But this is one of those um, phenomena that I'm, I'm not familiar with. That's really cool. It's all over YouTube. Yeah, no kidding. In- interesting. But no, I, I'm afraid I, I, I wish I had better thing to say, but I'm afraid I, I don't know anything about this. It sounds like it's a new um, area of inquiry for me. So I'm pretty sure the geologists came out and talked about it. I'm pretty sure like some like, you know, PhD guys. Well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I am an amateur astronomer, so I kind of follow a lot of these uh, Twitter accounts from other astronomers and that sort of thing. And uh, they, I very often run across uh, um, celestial sounds of various sorts. You know, um, there's some sort of vibration or there's some sort of frequency sort of thing going on in um, distant places, whether it's a pulsar or some black hole or, you know, in the atmosphere of other planets. And, and they, they translate those to audible noise, noises that humans can hear. Um, so I wouldn't be a bit surprised if our planet does that as well somehow or in the atmosphere or something is going on. Um, but yeah, that, what, if I were a geologist or, or, you know, a meteorologist or something, that's definitely something that I would be totally deep into. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've heard things like that. I think, I, I think I've heard what exactly what they're talking about. Um, in the mountains out kind of near Bluff Creek, actually, like, I remember like going, is that, like, what is that? You know, I just couldn't figure it out. I think that's what the same thing. Yeah, you know, I have heard about the noises of like what sounds like uh, machinery under the earth. 
you know, and people point to that as evidence of like the hollow earth theory and all this other stuff. Um, but that, that, a lot of that's volcanism, uh, rocks and magma and things moving around deep, deep underground actually make noises a lot like a uh, machinery. I guess, as they move around. But I don't think that's what this woman is speaking of, actually. No, no. I've, I mean, I've heard of that. And I've, I, I never thought that was anything but that, you know. Well, that, that's a cool mystery. And I, it seems that it was as covered, I'm, as I'm scanning the web here, it looks like it was, it was covered by Unsolved Mysteries at one point. I'm not sure if they ever got to the bottom of it. Not that like you would go to the t- a TV show for an answer about something like this anyway. Um, they're likely to say the space aliens came down and enslaved Bigfoots, and that's what made them. They're humming underground as some sort of lamental prayer or some nonsense like that. But um, no, I'm not sure anybody's got to the bottom of this. But that, what an interesting topic to to go look into. Thank you very much for bringing that to our to my attention. Bubba knew about it, but I didn't. That's cool. Okay, let's go ahead and listen to the next question then. Hi, Cliff. Hi, Bubba. My name is Juraj. I am a long-time listener and big fan of your show. And I would like to know your opinion about different predation pressures in both American species of relic hominins and the Asian species of the relic hominins. Who faces more predation, in your opinion? Thank you. I'm not sure either one faces predation at all, really. I mean, maybe the young ones might have some worries with, uh, you know, tigers in Asia, for example, or, you know, maybe mountain lions in North America, but uh, I mean, certainly a big Sasquatch or, or whatever over in, you know, whatever country we're talking about in, in Asia, um, they probably wouldn't have much to worry about. I can't think of anything that would really hunt them for food. No, I mean, there's, oppor- uh, there's opp- opportunistic, you know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it's happened, you know, or because the small ones are seen away from the parents sometimes pretty like, you know, when I was at that spot in Louisiana where we seen that giant one where the little one was around come that small one, like a size of a toddler, like look like a chimpanzee. That thing would be, you know, several hundred yards from its parents. I mean, there's nothing around there that would eat it besides, well, gators, but um, I'm sure, I'm sure it's happened, you know, like where a small one's gotten nabbed by a gator or a mountain lion or a grizzly or something, you know, or especially tigers, like in Asia. Yeah. Tigers would be the main one, I think. Yeah. yeah. And there, there, then there's a, you know, fossil evidence for similar occurrences. Like the, the, the most famously there's um, paranthropus skulls um, that have been unearthed fossil paranthropus skulls that have um, tooth and tooth impressions from like saber tooths and things like that. So uh, we know that hominins like our family um, we're food. We are food, which is why it's almost certain that the Australopithecines lived in large groups because, you know, it's harder to track one down. It's the same reason fish school together. You know, um, our ancestors also uh, grouped together into larger groups to make it harder, harder to kill us and eat us, basically. Um, but gosh, once they got big, you know, once they're six, seven, eight feet tall, I'm not sure much that's living nowadays would be going after these things. But it's possible. Grizzlies or polar bears, perhaps, something like that. Um, so as far as who, which group, the Asian or the North American versions of these things would face a greater risk of predation, I guess you got to look at the other, uh, predators in the area. Uh, I'd say wherever, wherever there's a big cat, a big tiger or something like that, that's a real threat. I mean, that's a real threat. Tigers are no joke. Um, mountain lions, eh, maybe, but I mean, I don't know. Well, what are your thoughts on mountain lions? You think a mountain lion would take down a six foot Sasquatch bubs? No way. It would be, be like a four-footer or smaller, I'm sure. And even then, mountain lions are really cautious. I mean, they'd have to stock it for quite a while. I know there's no adults around. And even then, I don't know if they'd risk it. But a tiger, they'd, they'd go for one for sure. And then 
uh, talking to Garrett down in South Africa with the Otangs, I'm sure the Afri- Af- a private African lions would take down it because he-, he said the Otangs aren't that big. They're smaller, you know, seven foot for the big ones. A private lions would take that thing down. Yeah, they would have some real concerns down there in South Africa where, you know, lions are actually a concern. Yeah, that, that that's a, something that didn't occur to me. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, interesting question. So it's kind of fun to play with. But so I would say, uh, I guess the answer, this or that, Asian or um, North American, I would probably say Asian because that's where the really big cats live or African, of course, but he, that wasn't part of the question. But yeah, so wherever there's a big old cat, I guess they would have probably have concerns. And that basically- Or Crocs. Or Crocs. Yeah. So maybe that's, or what about Caymans down in uh, Brazil or somewhere like South America? They're crocodilian. Yeah, definitely crocodilian. So they would be a concern. Or even the big old constrictors that are down there, the, the boas and stuff. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It'd have to be a real small one for them. But I've, all, I've often thought about that. Like, what animal would, would have killed the most Bigfoot type creatures around the world? I always thought it had to be crocs because they're just so gnarly, like the big ones, you know, get 2,000 pounds, the giant ones. And they're not, I mean, they'll eat it, they'll, they'll snack, snack an adult lion, you know. So, yeah, you went to the zoo with us in Australia, didn't you? Oh yeah, we saw that that nineteen foot or whatever it was. Oh my god, that was it was ridiculous. It was like it was like three or four feet tall. Yeah, this giant saltwater crocodile they had in the in a, some zoo we went to in Australia. Um, that was ridiculous. That really put those put, put those things in perspectives for perspective for me. So. Yeah, I think it was like 1,850 pounds or something. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, even a yaoi would have no chance against that, I think. No. No. Okay, so I, I hope that answered your question. Um, I'm not sure if it did, but it was certainly fun to talk about for a while. All right, so let's listen to the next question then. Hey, guys. Gary from Australia. I'll be researching. I just want to check if you guys ever find anything like symbols or glyphs on your travels. Now, I'm not talking about X markers or tree structures or lean-tos or anything like that. I'm talking about actual symbols placed on the ground in areas of significance. Now, these symbols, when laid on the ground, if you pay attention to the multiple sticks that make up these symbols, each stick actually crosses under, over, under, over, under, over. And a lot of these symbols quite easily stand out from being a natural formation. Some symbols uh, resemble triangles or house-like shapes, even other strange shapes that we found. And a lot of these symbols are actually made up of one stick, so they'll actually break the stick in multiple locations to make the symbol, but they won't break the bark. So the, stick, the meat of the stick itself is broken, but the bark is still attached, and then they bend it or fold it in certain directions to then make the specific symbol. Yeah, I've seen a couple things like that. I know chimpanzees do that, and I'm, I know you're not convinced, Cliff, but I'm, I'm certain that Sasquatches just do that, and they... They do tell what they're, you know, like where they're going, what they're, you know, there's information in that to their Sasquatch. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever seen glyphs or anything like that. I've seen some uh, weird things that I attribute to Sasquatches, um, most notably up in the Olympic Peninsula. I, I remember I, I filmed this for Finding Bigfoot. I'm not sure, I don't remember if it made the air, um, but uh, on a trail that the, some local people thought that the Sasquatches were using, I found a... Um, a, a cedar bow, a cedar bow coming out from a tree, and on that tree was a, was a piece of the same bow, basically. So something broke the tree branch, 
peeled it back and then broke the pe- broke the broken off part in two, but it didn't separate it. So it was like a V shape, like an upside down V shape, and that was hung on the same branch it was broken off of. Um, not sure what that means. Not sure if it's a trail marker. Not sure if it was trying to communicate anything. Maybe it was just bored. I have no idea. But that's probably the only thing I've ever found that I would interpret as probable Sasquatch. Um, because of the correlation of what the property owners were telling me and how they come into the property and what road they thought they used and all that stuff. That's the only thing I've ever personally seen that I thought might be something of interest kind of that direction. I've seen tree breaks. I've seen twists. I've seen these little things where they break the ends of these uh, branches upwards and backwards. Um, I've always interpreted that as maybe something else. So I don't think they're communicating much with those. But this other thing makes me wonder. And it keeps my, my my mind open. You know, like I'm, I'm on record. I don't know if they do tree structures. I'm not convinced yet. That doesn't mean I don't think they do them. It means that I'm not convinced yet. Um, and, and it's up to the people who find these things convincing to convince me. Um, cause I just, for me, that's not an avenue of inquiry yet. So they can lead you to the water clip, but they can't make you drink. I suppose not. I suppose not. I, I am the proverbial dead horse. So beat me. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So we're going to go from the voicemail questions to the texted questions. We got some text messages. So here, here are these. Okay. The first one looks like it comes from Paul Gilbertson. So the, the question is, have you two covered Jimmy Chilcutt's analysis of evidence? We would love to hear more about him and his analysis results. Um, love the show and the balance you bring to it. Thanks for all you do. No, we have, I don't think we have covered much of uh, Mr. Chilcutt's. We haven't, I don't think we even mentioned him. I mean, he kind of got a little embarrassed when, um, God, what was that guy, Matt? Yeah, his, his name was Matt Crowley, and um, he did an in-depth investigation into the 1967 Onion Mountain track that um, that I think he pretty convincingly showed um, the, the dermatoglyphics or the purported dermatoglyphics were actually just casting artifacts. Um, and he showed this through experimentation, and I think he put a bow on that one. Um, you know, and I, I got to say that I – there are a couple examples that um, we, it's a little unfortunate, and uh, like the the Wrinklefoot tracks, for example. I'm convinced that the the dermatoglyphics on the bottom of Wrinklefoot are actually just water striations, um, because I found very very similar, like identical markings on the floor of my garage, um, for example. And I've seen them in other trackways and whatnot. Um, so it, there might be some skin details somewhere on there, but the, the vast majority of those markings, if not all of them. I believe are water striations, and then uh, and then there's other problems too. I'm, uh, I plan to kind of write about this eventually if I ever do manage to pump a book out. But um, the very very famous Elkins Creek track from Georgia, um, there are dermatoglyphics on there, but there's also hand impressions on there. Um, the researcher uh, James Aiken, I think his name. So I don't know if it was him or not. I have no idea who it was, but somebody touched the impression in the ground before it was cast. And because of that, any dermatoglyphics on the cast, whether they're Sasquatch or human, we have to throw out because there are visible hand marks in that cast. And we have to be sure that um, nobody touched any casts. If we're going to, if we're going to be purporting, these are Bigfoot dermatoglyphics, you cannot have human contamination in these things. And so we have to throw that case out as well. There could very well be Sasquatch dramatoglyphics there, but they are not 
they, they're unfortunately, um, someone touched the cast, so they may or may not be human. Um, that's also the case with um, the earliest case, the Paul Freeman stuff. Paul Freeman's first cast and from June 6, 1982 has uh, marks where um, there were human finger marks in there. Yeah, from, li- lifting, from lifting them out before they were totally dry. No, by touching the impression in the ground before they cast it. Oh, that's what it was? I, I thought it was from lifting it out. Nope, nope, nope. It's, it's a very human thing, and I see it happen in the museum almost every day. Uh, and and, uh, the, and these were not the only researchers to do it, by the way. People, people, and I'm sure there's somebody out there saying, "Oh, that Paul Freeman faked it," because of all that nonsense about Paul Freeman, which we're going to get to the bottom to very soon in one of our podcasts. But um, it is a very human thing. Even the early uh, forefathers of Bigfoot, you know, like the the, the four horsemen of Bigfoot, they did the same thing. Um, for example, the 1960 Bluff Creek cast from Peter Byrne is covered with fingerprints, just covered with them. Not dermatoglyphics, but impressions of the hand, of, of the fingers, basically. Um, there's also um, the same markings in the Bob Titmus cast from 1963 from Hyam Palm. Same thing. Um, what happened, and it's not because these people necessarily sculpted it or did anything like that. It's because we're humans. And humans, the first time a human uh, comes across something they've never experienced before, the first thing they do is they look at it because primates, great apes, humans, um, our dominant sense is vision. So the first thing we're going to do is look at it. And the second thing we're going to do is touch it, no matter what it is. Um, you can see this. Um, I see it in the museum every day. Um, some, some, they always, kids and adults, they always touch the cast or whatever they're looking at. Um, I see it at my tables, like when I'm selling merch or whatever at a speaking event. They come up, they go, oh my God, look at this cast. And as they're quote unquote looking at it, they touch it. They touch it. And I'm, we've all done this as well. Like, hey, let me see that. And you put your hand out because you're waiting to touch it. Humans look first and touch second. I see similar behaviors in my dog, Sochi. I hope Sochi's listening. If you are, Sochi, I love you. Um, uh, first thing she does is that she smells it because that is a dog's dominant sense. The second thing she does is she puts it in her mouth humans and dogs and whatever, we're all animals. We all do the same thing. So when a person sees a footprint in the ground, they go, oh my God, look at this. They look at it, then they touch it. It's a human thing. I've actually had to speak to other Bigfoot investigators to discourage them from doing it. Um, so that's a problem with this, with the dermatoglyphic stuff. Luckily, there's a few sets that have not been touched. Um, there's a, a later Paul Freeman set. Um, that, well, the, I don't think the dermals one was was touched on June was that 16th? I think it was 1982. Those were not touched. And also uh, there's some stuff later from 1987 um, from the Mill Creek watershed that show very, very good dermatoglyphics that have no sign of human interference in them whatsoever. And, and in my opinion, those are the best examples of Sasquatch dermatoglyphics in the entire Blue Mountain data set. And almost no one's aware of them at all, which I think is hilarious. People are always pointing to these other casts and stuff and screaming dermatoglyphics, but they're not even aware of the best set. And there, I think there are five footprints from the same trackway in a row and um, numerous of them, several of them. I think three or four of them have dermatoglyphics on them. So B. Mills, B. Mills isn't the first person to cast multiple tracks with derms, or is it the same derm in the same spot? No, she's not at all. But but her cast, I have yet to verify this because I don't have copies of them, B. But anyway, um, she's... a. I believe her casts are the first ones to show the same spots 
of dramatic lithics. But I don't have copies of them yet, so I can't. I don't have much to say about that. But I, from my initial examination, which was only for ten minutes or something, it looked like uh, some of the same spots on the cast had uh, repeated dramatic lithics. But I'd like to see them again and do an in-depth analysis before I make that um, absolutely for sure. So. But yeah, uh, Jimmy Chilcutt stuff is, is interesting and pioneering. But a couple of his um, a couple of his findings um, have been cast into doubt. Not only because Matt Crowley and the '67 Onion Mountain stuff, um, and and my interpretation of the marks on the bottom of the Wrinklefoot stuff, but also because humans contaminated the evidence by touching the footprint um, before they poured plaster into it. Unfortunate. Yeah, I felt bad for Jimmy because he stuck his neck out then. He got chopped. Well, yeah, and you know, I've, I've corresponded with him too. There was a great cast from Colton, Oregon, um, that showed a patch of dermatoglyphics, and I sent it to him. And what, and what do you think, Jimmy? And he, he was kind enough to write back saying, "Well, these are definitely dramatoglyphics, human or Sasquatch. I don't know." Right. So the ones, the ones that you guys have identified as for sure germs and not left by the person, how? Because uh, Jimmy thought that they were like <clears throat> the Sasquatch germs were like. 50 to 100% thicker than a human derm. Uh, the Sasquatch ones are just as narrow, right? And as far as I can tell, they look just like humans, maybe a little thicker, but I'm not an expert in any of that sort of stuff. Um, that might be a better question posed to Dr. Meldrum uh, because he is an, a professional anatomist after all. But um, to me, they looked they looked about the same size and everything, maybe maybe a little bigger, but they looked about the same to me as, um, as human stuff. And I'm not sure how much larger, say, gorillas or orangutan um, dramatoglyphics are. Um, I'm not sure where I'd even find that information, honestly. Right. We're going to have Dr. Meldrum on for the 200th episode coming up. Yeah, he could spare some time every 100 episodes. Yeah. He did say, he did say that if he listened to any podcast, which he doesn't, he might listen to ours. <laughs> that was the sweetest <laughs> thing I ever heard said about us. Yeah, if that's not a warm sentiment, I don't know what is. Right. You know, you were talking about uh, the Elkins Creek cast from Deputy Aikens. You know, he had a, a Bigfoot podcast uh, a few years ago. I heard a couple of episodes. Oh, did he? He had a podcast? I know he wrote a book on the subject. Yeah, he got into it. He was um, he actually had some good good ideas and, and smart guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any problem with him at all. I mean, I've never met him. It'd be nice to talk to him, though. I wonder if we can get him on our podcast. Oh, we totally could. Oh, we should do that. We should do that. Reach out He's to him. He's one of the guys I, I, was, uh, I wrote to, actually, recently. He's kind of gone the paranormal way, hasn't he? He's, he's a good researcher, Cliff. I, I didn't ask that, Bobs. <laughs> no, he has somewhat. Yeah, he's, he's open to it for sure. But yeah, I think <clears throat> to a degree he has. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think he's right, but there's nothing wrong with that. No big deal. I don't care if people agree with me. Yep. I, just, I, was, I, I just thought it was interesting because I never heard anything about him on a podcast and I stumbled upon it and I was like, oh, this guy's, you know, it's, it's cool. He got, he delved into it and he had more. He had more stuff to say about it than, you know, like he was always just a name, you know, like just this guy, just he's a deputy that found it and that was about it. But hearing the whole story was pretty cool. Yeah, well, that's cool. We should get him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. We got one. The next one's from Vivian Powell. She wants to know, apart from Bigfoot hiding, what is the one thing that uh, really annoys you about Bigfoot? Uh, I think it's the hiding. It's that is. The, I don't know if there's anything besides that, really. Well, apart from that. They're too quiet at times. Yeah, they're awfully quiet. They're awful slinky. It's hard to tell if they're around sometimes. Um, you know what annoys me a little bit is uh, their, their aptitude for not making tracks. Because um, even when I know when, where one has walked, it's really hard to pick up sign. 
it's really hard to cut a sign on, on some of that stuff because they're big, soft, padded feet. Um, but but I like that about them. So I'm not sure that annoys me about them. But it's, it's the fact that they okay. Here it is: the fact that they seem to be at least somewhat, if not fully, aware of where they walk. They don't seem to like walking through mud. Um, I know my dog doesn't, so it seems reasonable that a Sasquatch may not like that either. But they don't seem to like walk to like walking into mud because there are so many wonderful, beautiful places that a trackway could be recorded, but I've never seen one there. It's always in these other spots that are much harder to pick up. Right. That is kind of part of hiding, though. Yeah, kind of. But I kind of took that as physically uh, hiding their body, you know. And that doesn't annoy me either because my wife likes to hide. Trip out and scare you. Well, you know, luckily, no. Luckily, despite her um, affinity for Halloween, she doesn't like to scare me. Well, that's um, right. She does hide. Like, you'll come over and go, Melissa, Melissa, and she won't answer you, right? Yeah, she'll totally hide. And it's like, I, I know you're here, <laughs> your car. And, like, her car's out there, you know, and, and I, I go inside, and and, and, and she, she's not in the kitchen. I, I go in the, the bed. She's not in the bathroom. She's what? Not, in the- not in the bedroom or the kitchen? Yeah, well, she's, I, God, she's hiding again. So I, I start looking for her. And you know what? Like, about half the time, um, I'm, I'll, I'll like look for for like five or ten minutes. Half the time, she'll come in from outside and go, "Hey, oh, I didn't know you were home." And I said, I was, "I've been looking for you for like oh, I thought you were hiding." Said, no, no, not not this time. So it's gotten, <laughs> it's gotten to the point now where yeah, a lot of times she's hiding, and sometimes she hides really well. Sometimes I see her feet like under the curtains or whatever by the window, and it's like, well, that's really funny. Um, I find her. Luckily, she never jumps out and tries to give me a heart attack or anything. But 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 seriously, half the time I'll look for her for five or ten minutes um, and I, not finding her, and then she'll come up, come out from a place that I didn't know she was, not hiding, just like doing laundry or outside or something like that. And oh, I didn't know you were home, so I just spent like five minutes looking for you. That's funny. Yeah, she's she's a weird lady, man. I'm a big fan of her, but she's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Last question for the episode. Then we can do some uh, stuff for our members in, in, in our uh, membership section here. But last question from um, for this episode from Amber England. She asks, if you were tasked with making another episode of Finding Bigfoot, which, if any, viral video picture or piece of media allegedly portraying a Sasquatch that has surfaced since the conclusion of Finding Bigfoot, would you like to investigate for your episode and why? Hmm. Piece of media, does that include audio? I think so. I think and you said piece of media. I think I think audio definitely is included in that. What's the one piece that you would like to do an episode on, Bobs? I can't think of any video ones that I thought were real compelling. I'm sure, I'm sure there's been a couple, but I can't think of any um, audio that's come out. I know, I've heard some audio that I was like, wow, that's great. I can't remember where it was gotten, who got it. But I know I've heard. If I, if I looked at, if I uh, looked into it, I could probably figure it out who what that audio was. Well, I've got one. I think that we, I think we blew it by never doing the Freeman film. Oh well, she said it came out since the show ended. That'd be number one. Well, yeah, okay. She did say that. I guess um, I'm not sure of anything new that's really good that's come out since then. Freeman was the first thing I thought when she said since we did the show. That's why I didn't say it. Yeah, see, if we were to do a Finding Bigfoot episode now, I would probably do the Freeman stuff because Freeman had two films, and people don't know about that. Um, and I've seen both of them, and both of them have footprint evidence in it as well, which uh, lend very strongly to them being real. And uh, we've been doing a real deep dive here at the museum for our members um, on the most on the most common Freeman film that's out there. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably do that, I guess. 
But the stuff that happened since Finding Bigfoot has ended, I, I don't, I can't think of anything that I think is legit. I mean, I'm probably missing something. There's got to be something out there, but I just can't think of anything that I think is honestly legit since then, as far as films go. Yeah, maybe uh, that one that you got from that person in Southern Oregon where things sat across the hillside. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the Roseburg footage, of course. I knew I was missing something. Yeah, the Roseburg footage is probably what I would do um, because uh, there's, there's a great piece of footage that we roll here at the museum. We have exclusive rights to it. She lets us show it in the museum. It's never been shown on television or anything. It is legitimately nine minutes of footage of this thing at a distance of 303 yards. It's either a human or a Sasquatch, period. Um, sitting down in this ditch full of poison oak, doing something, hanging out, eating. I don't know what it's doing. Um, that would be the one that would be the one it's called the Roseburg footage. I think it was taken in 2019, if I remember correctly in May. Um, and the only place you can see it is the NABC here. So if you've been here, you've seen it. Um, and I think that's really compelling. Uh, it doesn't show much. It's nothing you can take to the bank. It's not like the, you know, the Patterson Gimlin film or something like that. Um, but it's, it's either a Bigfoot or a human. And if it's a human, it's really weird because uh, it's sitting down in this patch of poison oak eating it or doing something. And the woman um, who who took the video took two stills of it before she turned on her video and uh, her, on her phone. Um, and I asked her in my interview with her, why did you why did you uh, why did you take pictures of that? If, if, she said, well, it was a person walking out of the woods in a place where I've never seen any people before on private logging land off trail walking out of the woods and um that it was one color from head to toe even if it was you know 320 yards at that point one color head to toe didn't seem to be wearing clothing couldn't see any clothing on it it's uh, she told me that uh the the figure the person i guess for lack of a better term seemed to be shrugging but never dropped its shoulders which is a very ape-like thing right and it had a really big butt and I think that's important. Uh, of course, I'm sure people out there are chuckling because I said the word butt, and I get it. Butts are funny. But at the same time, um, your butt muscles are used for two things. I'm always talking about Bigfoot butts, apparently. Your butt muscles are used for holding your torso over your pelvis. So a bipedal posture. And twerking. That's right. Uh, take it from Bobo. It's for twerking. And also, there's a third use, I guess, um, besides twerking and bipedal postures for bipedal walking. Anyway, yeah, the, the Roseburg footage is my answer to that. Thank you, Bobes, for helping me remember that. Yeah, no worries. Got your back. Thank you. And Bigfoot got back, too. Yeah. She could not lie. She's a good – she could not lie. It had a big butt and uh, – whatever. <laughs> All right. On that note, um, what, Bobo, let's stick around for a few minutes and do something for our members. But other than that – that was a fun one. I, I, I really enjoy the Q&As, you know? I like hearing their voices. So if you have a question for Bobo or Cliff or us or neither or somebody, um, it doesn't have to be a question. You can just leave a comment if you want. You can go to our website, bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com, and follow the links, and you can leave a voicemail for us. Um, you can do it anonymously. You can leave your name. Maybe we'll say it on the air, you know, that sort of thing. Um, ask us a question. We enjoy this sort of stuff. If you don't want to do that, you can always email us. But again, go to bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and follow the links to whatever you would like to bestow upon us. All right. We also have a membership section that we uh, have started. Um, the first episode will come out in October. We're supplying an extra, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes of content every single week. And again, you can find all that information on our website for the third or fourth time, bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com. Join us. Become a member. It'll be fun. It certainly will. 
All right, folks, you heard Cliff. Sign up for that Patreon account and get the extra bonus uh, stuff. We're about to do some of that stuff right now. It's cool. It's fun, interesting, uh, entertaining, and informative. So until next week, you guys, thanks for listening. Hit like, hit share, and y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 